Psalm 76, here we are. Let's just dive into it. Uh, We'll take it a verse or two at a time and just make our way down. It says, to the chief musician on string instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. So once again, we go back to that introduction of the chief musician. This would be the, you know what, the person in charge of the music there in the tabernacle or the temple, oftentimes accompanied by many other singers and even other leaders and folks that played instruments and so forth. And uh, beautifully, listen, the Lord called people who played skillfully unto the Lord, but he also called them to even prophesy with their instruments, and which is a picture of, you know what, proclaiming worship to God with power. And you know what, that can only be done with a heart of humility. Listen, you can, you can be a false prophet all day, and that's always marked by pride, but if you're going to truly prophesy, declare the things of God in power, it must be done with a humble heart. And I really believe that's the key to all ministry, to have confidence in the Lord. Listen, we serve the the God of gods, the King of kings, that his promises are yes and amen, that every word in in the scriptures is true, that he bestows gifts on us with great confidence in him, and yet with a humble heart, knowing it's about giving him glory and him honor and him praise, and it's not about us. And uh, the chief musician, no doubt, would have been instructed in that, and the Lord willing would be found walking in that. And Lord willing will be found walking in that, heart, uh, in that heart as well. And then notice there's specific instructions here on string instruments. As they would worship the Lord with a variety of different instruments and so forth. And so there's just practical instruction here. Uh, this is probably a reference to the harp and other instruments that they would play uh, worshiping the Lord in. And whenever I think of the harp, I know my mind often goes back to David. You remember when King Saul was afflicted with a distressing spirit because of his rebellion against God. Remember, it's the first that we see David interacting with Saul and that they would bring him in and he would play that harp and that distressing spirit would come off of Saul. And I really believe that true worship and spirit and truth that uh, as the Psalms declare, God inhabits the praises of his people and we are living in a time of spiritual warfare. We read about that in the scriptures uh, whether we like it or not, we're immersed in it. And I'll tell you, real worship under the Lord, real praise under God. Uh, and, and you don't need a heart, have to be a harpist. Uh, but listen, worshiping unto the Lord absolutely, absolutely brings glory to God. And it wards off the enemy. You think Satan wants to be around when people are really worshiping God and giving him praise and so forth and really honoring him? Uh, man, let's be a, a people that lift them up and voices and listen, if he's given you the blessing to play instruments, then play them under the Lord and give God glory with them. And also, just even with that, it's a practical instruction for them. You know, the way the music, no doubt, was put together for the psalm, it probably practically came across better with string instruments. And so it's practical instruction. And it's also instruction just about practical order. And uh, our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. I know our worship team, they come and they, they, they come and prayed up on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and they come and practiced up as well. And uh, you know what, practically, you know what, with the variety of instruments and voices and so forth, they say, listen, what, what sounds the best together? What would make it most easy to worship the Lord? Usually the question that's asked is, what's, what's the least distracting, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we could cohesively really got our eyes on the Lord more than 
you know, it's something that's just not fitting in quite right that you're like, okay, you know, the, it sounds more like a racket than, you know, at a, 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 a song of, you know, at a, a sweet melody to the Lord. So practical instruction there. And again, the scripture is full of practical instruction. We serve a practical God, and that's a very good thing. And then notice again, it's another Psalm of Asaph. And we've talked a lot about him. And uh, we see that there's 12 Psalms attributed to Asaph. Or the sons of Asaph, because sometimes when they say a song of Asaph, it's returning to his children, be like the house of Asaph. And we talked about how this was a mighty man of God. Uh, we see him first, Asaph himself, one of the worship leaders in the day of David. And then beautifully, we see that his family was involved as well in the worship of the Lord. And it was something that just didn't end in one generation, but it continued on. Because uh, several hundred years later, after the time of David, when uh, Israel and Judah went into captivity, when they came back after the Babylonian captivity, is awesome. We see the sons of Asaph still worshiping the Lord and the dedication of the temple. And that's something that only happens by the grace and mercy of God Almighty, where there's a continual generation after generation of worshiping the Lord. Because oftentimes it only takes one generation, you know, to get their eyes off of the Lord for the next one to be raised without a knowledge of God. And it's just a real reminder to us. I just keep coming back to that in these Psalms here, you know, that we can need to continue to work and, and to pray and ask the Lord to help us to raise our kids in the way of the Lord. I know sometimes people say, man, I'm trying to raise them in the way of the Lord, but it doesn't seem to work, be working. What do I do? And I say, keep doing what you're doing. Keep being in the word, keep prayer, keep pressing on, keep interceding and so forth. We don't abandon the scriptures. We stay steadfast in them. And uh, so we reminded that of Asaph. And it seems like this, this psalm in particular was most likely written by the descendants of Asaph. And most agree uh, that it was most likely written in the time of Hezekiah when God gave victory to Judah and Jerusalem over the Assyrians. And in Jewish history and the Septuagint, they actually title the song, The Victory Over the Assyrians. And it seems to fit. And we'll talk about this when uh, Jerusalem was besieged by the Assyrians. After they had taken uh, the northern tribes into captivity. And uh, it's that time, and I won't get too far ahead, but when they cried out to God and an angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And so uh, we'll see how that fits. As I look at this psalm, though, it really as well seems to be very prophetic concerning the victory of Israel in the day of the Lord, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that you find oftentimes in Scripture with prophecy. A lot of times people look at prophecy and they think of a one-time fulfillment with it. But generally what you find is a pattern in prophecy where you'll see multiple uh, fulfillments and then always an ultimate fulfillment. And you see that really with the Psalms. So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, at that victory there at the day of the Lord. And listen, this is also uh, a, a Psalm that really speaks in regards to our victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, at the daily victory we have in him, and, you know, as we talked about, I think it was last week, we, we, are, we, we, we have victory in Jesus, we're going to have victory in Jesus, and we're having victory in Jesus. That 
continual aspect of you know, victory in the Lord. And then also notice here it says a song. And some of these psalms are written as songs. Others are written as prayers. And here's the thing, listen, whether it's a song or a prayer, they're both said as song to the Lord. It's just different expressions. And I think we really need to know that because I think sometimes in worship we fall into the trap, especially in you know, at our, our time today, to kind of think of worship, at least in a gathering here, maybe as an optional thing or... You know, so much worship in church today has become so entertainment-driven where it's kind of like, well, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to them up there. And we really got to understand that worship is meant to be really prayer sung to God. It should be about worshiping, all right? It's called praise and worship, where we're worshiping Him and we're giving glory and honor to Him. Now, I do believe as well, though, that there could be worship songs that are more like prayers. And you know what? Really, our worship should, you know, it absolutely center around and giving him glory and praise. It should be more about God than us. I think that's reversed a lot today. Um, but there are some songs that are sung that are sung as a type of prayer to the Lord. You know, I think about an old one. You know, go back. The ones that I actually remember, you know, create in me a clean heart, oh God. And, and that's a type of prayer. And it should be sung to the Lord as a type of prayer calling out to him. And so really prayer and, and song and prayer and praise and worship, they should go hand in hand. And I think it really helps us when we come to gather together to sing, to know, listen, we're just not singing into the air or, you know what, trying to see, you know what, uh, what a, 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 you know what, a, a melody we could make here. But we understand I'm here singing to the Lord, that I'm talking to God. And we really need to get that before us because I think there's a lot of confusion in that area today where there really doesn't need to be confusion. So that's the introduction here. Then notice how it starts. It says, in Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem or Jerusalem uh, also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. And here's a glorious thing. Listen, when God is truly known, there is cause for rejoicing. And this psalm speaks of this. His name is known in Judah. His name is known in Israel. His name is known in Salem or Jerusalem or Zion, another name for uh, Jerusalem. And then it speaks of the tabernacle or the temple right there in Jerusalem. So it's a declaration that, again, his name is great. His name is, his name is known and absolutely, he's worthy to be praised. And this is speaking of not just knowing about God, but also truly knowing God. And there's a difference. You can know all about something or someone without actually knowing that person. But praise God with our God. Listen, he hasn't given us his word just to know about him, but he's personal He's given us his word and the gospel and the work of the cross so we can genuinely and truly know him personally. And it's so awesome. The Bible doesn't speak of us just knowing him as one in the crowd and perhaps maybe he knows me. But man, the word of God talks about us knowing him intimately and personally. And uh, you know what? Knowing him as our Abba, Father, knowing Jesus as our friend, knowing him as, again, 
knowing his great love for us and that he laid down his life for us. And we got to know that and understanding that, that, that he has a great heart for us. And I've joked a little bit in the Gospel of John how many times John will say, you know, it, the, then the disciple Jesus loved or loves did this, that, and the other. And you know what? John's not just speaking about himself there. He's speaking about you and Christ, that you're the disciple who Jesus loves. And God wants you to take ownership of that. And absolutely for us to, you know what? have, have our, our, our chief aim in life, you know, to be to get to know him more. And listen, some verses on knowing the Lord that are just key, that, that again, this is such a huge thing. First of all, listen, to be saved from your sin, you got to truly know him. Knowing about him won't save you. Now, knowing about him can lead you to salvation because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, but you actually got to know him to be saved. So even as soon as God is known, and Judah, God is known, this isn't talking about just, yeah, we know about God. This is talking about a time when they really knew the Lord. They really had faith in him, where they really repented and asked him to be the Lord of their lives. And let me ask you an idea, just know about him, or do you know him? Do you just know about places like this where he's talked about and worshiped, or do you really know him? Listen, it's the biggest thing in the world, the most important thing, that we really know him as our Lord and Savior, that we've really called on his name. There in Matthew 7, 21, the Lord speaks about a judgment where there's these individuals that they come and they say, Lord, you know, we've done this in your name. We've done that in your name. We've cast out demons. We've prophesied and all these things. And then the Lord says to him in Matthew 7, uh, 23, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. And even in what they were practicing that seemed good, it was lawless in that, listen, they weren't in a place where they knew the Lord and they were under the grace of God. And it seems like that even their righteousness was found in their works and in their actions and so forth. And listen, by the works of the law, no one will be saved. So absolutely, we have to know him. And how do we know him? We come to him and we cry out to him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When we confess our sin, when we put our faith in Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, absolutely at that point, he comes and makes his, uh, uh, you know, his, his home with us. He comes and he saves us. Our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He gives us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we enter into what is often called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a heavy and a weighty thing. A lot of times that's said, but have you really thought about that? You have in Christ. Is he your Lord tonight? Can you say amen to that? Listen, you got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know him through the work of the cross and him dealing with the issue that separated us from him before, which was the issue of sin. So listen, to be saved from our sin, we must truly know him. And listen, also in knowing him, that's where you find life and godliness, you want to find life? I mean, who does not want to have a life? You want to have a life? Has anyone ever told you to get a life? You've heard that, get a life. Listen, it's only found one place in Jesus Christ. We talked about Sunday, to live as Christ. Life is found in him. And in him as well is a call to godliness. He's given us grace that we would walk in godliness and holiness. He hasn't just saved us to send us back 
from, you know what, that place that he saved us from to go back to those sins that we participated in, but to move forward in him practically. And listen, that comes through the knowledge of him, through knowing him more and more and more, as well as through knowing about him more and more and more. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, notice here, in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does anyone here like grace and peace? Can you say amen to that? Well, that's multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, through knowing him more. It says, as in, uh, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. And so no wonder why the psalmist is rejoicing. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. Because when you know him, you find life. You find godliness. You find that grace and peace are being multiplied to you. And I like the idea of that, of a multiplication of grace and peace. God's divine influence upon our life. The peace of the Lord that passes all understanding. Listen, in the day we're living in, we need grace upon grace upon grace and peace upon peace upon peace. And I like the fact, too, that it brings forth all things pertaining to life and godliness through knowing him. Also, listen, and we've kind of already touched on it, but you need to know that your chief purpose in life, people ask, oh, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Listen, your chief purpose in life, you know what it is? To know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your chief purpose. Now, listen, there's various things that we're called to and so forth and different gifts that we're given. But that's the minor. The major is knowing him. Listen to what Paul wrote, Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him and, having, and not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Notice, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I may know him. That's our chief purpose. To know our God and praise God. Our God has made that way to know him. To really know him and praise God. He really knows us and he still wants to have a relationship with us. I marvel at that quite often in my own life. Now really quick, how do we get to know him? Well, listen, again, it starts with the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, which has bad news. I'm a sinner. I'm under condemnation. But the good news is that Christ came according to the scriptures. He died on the cross according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And when I put faith in him, I get saved. And when I put faith in him, I get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit absolutely wants to teach you the scriptures. The Holy Spirit wants to be active in your life. Also, listen, through the Bible talks about through creation, we understand that there is a God. We see design and we know that there is the designer. Through the person of Jesus Christ, we have the revelation of the Father. It's been awesome in our study on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of John. I feel personally like I know Jesus way better than before when we started that study. And I've talked through John multiple times, but every time I teach through it or I study it or I read it, I get to know him more. 
because he's the God of gods and the King of kings. So listen, you want to know the Father? Get to know the Son. And absolutely, listen, his word, his word reveals him. The knowledge of him is revealed in the scripture. You want to know who God is? Then open up the word of God. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching. So to teach us about God, to teach us about, you know, what the call of God upon our life. And then, listen, you want to get to know God, you begin to walk with him. You have a daily walk with the Lord. And then when you walk with the Lord, you see, you learn about the faithfulness of God. Has anyone here learned about the faithfulness of God? That he's faithful to us even when we are what? Faithless. You learn about the love of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord. You learn about, you know what, one we may not like. You learn about the correction of the Lord. And listen, all the more you, you, you get a, a, a hunger for the coming of the Lord. And uh, again, God was known at Judah and Judah at that time. And listen, as a result, they flourished. And as a result, their enemies perished. And we'll see this as we go through the psalm. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And that would be a time later when they reject the knowledge of the Lord and destruction came upon them. In this case, listen, they're steeped in the knowledge of God. And as a result, they're flourishing while their enemy is perishing. Also, listen, Israel is back in our land today as prophesied in the scripture but also as prophesied in the scripture, listen, those bones have flesh on them, but they still need to have life breathed in them because most of Israel does not know the Lord. But I do believe this is prophetic in that Romans eleven twenty six 26 says, all Israel will be saved. And you see this throughout the scriptures, an end times regathering of Israel and Israel coming to a place of acknowledging Christ. And you got to understand when you read about end times in the scripture, you read about revelation, all of a discourse, you read the epistles, you got to understand the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel talks about the tribulation, the last seven years here on this earth. And the tribulation is primarily about the nation of Israel coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's primarily what it's about. And there's a lot of people that are completely ignorant about the old Testament They listen to false teachers like Andy Stanley, who says we need to detach ourselves from the Old Testament. Like you're a pastor of a church. Listen to know to the 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 new fulfills the old. And you know what? Um, You look and 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 the end times is about Israel. The the time's going to come. They're going to look on him whom they pierce. All Israel will be saved. And this is a prophetic word. God will be known in Judah. God will be known in Israel. And uh, I could go on and on and on about that, but let's move on to verse 3. It says, There, this speaking about Jerusalem, speaking about Zion, there he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of the battle, Selah. And so this psalm is written after a, a victory that came by the hand of God. In a minute here, we'll talk about that victory in the day of Hezekiah that seems to fit. But listen, there's other places where this possibly could have fit as well. The one thing that is awesome, the one thing that's universal, is that when you know the Lord and you're resting in the knowledge of your God and who he is, 
God always comes through with victory for his people. He absolutely does. Victory in him. And they're acknowledging that God had brought the victory and they're in a place where instead of just shuffling by it, they say, Selah, or let's sit here and think about that. That's what Selah means. Let's, let's consider this. Let's not let this just go by. Let's rejoice in this. And praise God, listen, this is a picture and a reminder to us of the victory we have in Jesus. I love this. It says, there he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword of the battle. And we read in the scripture that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle that we just talked about as we started in this. And I thought about Ephesians 6.16 that talks about the full armor of God. And it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. There ain't nothing new underneath the sun. Listen, the enemy of our soul loves to, uh, you know what, fire darts and arrows right at us. And he tries to fire, fire darts of unbelief and fear and you know anything he can do to rattle our faith in the lord jesus christ and how do we put those down with a shield of faith and here's the thing listen it's not faith in just anything so oh just you you know what to be saved you got to have faith listen it's not about having faith it's about having faith in the lord jesus christ having faith in him in his promises and his person and when you stand in faith in the lord and you stand in believing the lord those arrows, listen, they don't have the same effect. The enemy is a fear monger. He loves to put fear on you. He wants to get in the place saying, oh, woe is me. Surely this is the end of all of it. And God wants us to remember that he's on the throne, that he's with us to the end of the age, that he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And when fear gets swallowed up with faith, those darts are ineffective. They really are. And so it's all the more that we're getting rooted and grounded in his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And they're rejoicing in this victory that God had given to them. Verse four, he says, you are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. So they're rejoicing again in the greatness of God and they're making a comparison. The mountains of prey, I think this could be two things here. First of all, the mountains of prey would obviously be a mountain where there's great provision. They would go and they would hunt prey to put food on their table. You're more glorious than that. They're saying, are you ready for this? That the provider is greater than the provision. And we got to remember that. Because we very easily at times get in that place where we are more infatuated and we're more excited about the provision of God than the provider that has brought forth that provision. And they're just stepping back and recognizing You know, you're more glorious and excellent than the provision, the provider. Listen, the blesser is greater than the blessings. Let's remember that. Some have suggested as well that this verse is referring to man and his pride. And man thinking that he was above the judgment of God, walking in his rebellion, yet in that rebellion, he was setting himself up to be the prey of God or to incur the judgment of God. And listen, there would be an application there as well. Because how oftentimes have men puffed themselves up and even, you know what, uh, you know, promoted themselves to be greater than God. It happens all the time. And when you hear that nonsense, you know, God wants us to remember, wait a minute, let's just, that's just, you know what, uh, uh, flesh and blood speaking over here. My God is greater than all this. He absolutely is. Verse five. 
The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. And none of the mighty men had found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a deep sleep. And so this is a picture of Jerusalem being in a place surrounded by a mighty army and obviously God coming in, coming against these stout-hearted individuals, this stout-hearted army, these individuals that were full of great pride, that probably as well were greatly armed, and God sinking them into a sleep. God putting them into a place where they had no use of their hands, bringing their horses and chariots as well into a deep sleep, and it all came from the rebuke of God. At one word, the army that was against them was completely put into a place where they had no strength, they had no power whatsoever. And this absolutely fits, you know, the victory in Hezekiah's day. In Hezekiah's day, you can read about it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. He's there for three or four chapters. We know the Assyrians, they come in and they besiege Jerusalem. They surround her. They're trying to starve her out. Now, listen, God gave them wisdom because the Jews go and they, they, they uh, stopped all of the springs. So the water stayed inside of the city and didn't go out to the enemy. And they said, why should he come here and think we have a bunch of water? We're going to keep that in here for ourselves. And then, listen, the king of Assyria, he even got more bold and brazen And he came there to the city and he probably had some sort of amplification or bullhorn or something. And he began to speak uh, in Hebrew and Hezekiah didn't like that because everyone could hear about the fact that we're going to destroy you. But if you people defect and come over to me, I'm going to give you life. Does that not sound like the enemy? You know, come to me and I'll give you life. And then he moved into a place of saying, and this was very foolish, no God has been able to stop me. And your God won't be able to stop me. That's a very, very foolish thing. Now, praise God, at that point, Hezekiah did something very wise. He did something that a lot of the kings before him and after didn't do. A lot of the other kings, when they would be in this place, they would move to go try to hire the Egyptians. If the Syrians were coming against them. Or they would hire, you know, the Edomites. If the Egyptians were coming against them and they would turn to the hand of man. And Hezekiah didn't do that. You know what Hezekiah did? He turned to the hand of God. And he cried out to God. And he prayed to God. And I love it. In 2 Kings eleven twenty, it says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the God of Israel. Hear this. Because you have prayed to me against uh, Shanarabub, I just throw it out there, king of Assyria, I have heard. Because you have prayed, I have heard. Man, isn't it simple? Here comes the enemy talking all his smack, trying to evoke fear. And what Hezekiah do? He gets on his face and he prays. And God says, listen, since you prayed, I've heard. It's that simple. We pray and he hears. And how we complicated. He fell down and he prayed. And then listen how it goes. 2 Kings 11 or, or 1935, a few verses down. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out. And killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, 
They were, uh, there were corpse, all were dead. You talk about a pandemic. That's what some people say it probably would happen. You know, they came and they got, you know what, they, they got something that they, they, you know what, they didn't have an immunity to. The Bible doesn't say that. Don't try to explain away the power of God with some, you know, human explanation over here. God went in there and struck them down. He struck them down. They, they couldn't move. They couldn't act. It's called, are you ready for this? It's called a miracle. And we have a God who has a right to do miracles. To intervene in time and in the normalcy of things. And to do supernatural activities that go against the laws of physics. And it's glorious when he does. Again, great victory. This victory also looks very much like the second coming of Christ. When we read about the nations once again doing what? Surrounding, surrounding Jerusalem. We see them back up all the way to the, in the Jezreel Valley, Armageddon. Some of you know it as. All the way down through the Dead Sea to uh, where Basra is. In fact, that Armageddon area, more wars have been fought there in the history of the world I mean, Jerusalem is a cup of trembling today, and we see man gathered together, you know, having been brought there by three demons that go out of the mouth of, I believe, is it the false prophet or the beast, one or the other, and they gather them together, and they think they're going to defeat God, and God's going to go in there, and it's going to look just like this. They're going to be judged, and this dispensation is going to come to an end, and listen, this is also a picture of victory we have in Christ. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, as anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I look at this just as personal in the sense of when I came to Christ, the old man was crucified. I'm a new creation in the Lord. He put that down. Now, practically, I got to die daily because it's trying to come up from the grave. <laughs> But positionally, we're right with God and the day's coming. We're going to be delivered even from that sin nature. Verse 7, he says, you yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven and earth feared and was still. And again, so many fear so much in the world today. We should move with wisdom. This isn't saying we shouldn't move with wisdom. But listen, you know what? We should fear God. We should have a fear and a reverence of God. And here's the truth. When you fear him, you really don't need to fear anything else. But if you don't fear him, you better fear everything else. And this isn't a picture. Listen, this isn't a picture of fearing, oh, God's going to abuse me. It's not that. It's a reverence of God. It's a fear of, you know what? God says, if I do this, and I walk in it, I'm going to be blessed. And God also says that if I do this, that he's going to correct me. And that's the picture really of a healthy father-son relationship. Where the child knows that the father loves him, but the child also knows if dad says don't play in the street, and you're playing in the street, he's going to come and he's going to tan your backside. And he does that, why? To keep you from playing out there, lest, you know Lest you get ran over by the UPS truck or whatever it is barreling through there. Whatever it may be. To protect you. Listen to Romans 8.15. For you did not receive 
the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, that's a picture of intimacy that we have with God to know him, but it's also, again, a picture of fearing him. He cast out that spirit of fear. But listen, that's replaced with a fear of God, an awe of God, knowing that he loves me, that he cares about me, that he's not lying in his scriptures. Verse 9, it says, When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. And again, the rejoicing and the judgment that came in that day. And again, we know that judgment is coming one day. But praise God, he's going to deliver the oppressed of the earth. And if you're going to truly walk with Christ on this earth, the Bible says there's going to be times when you get persecuted, when you get oppressed. We see that growing leaps and bounds in our world today. But again, he says, Selah, or think about that. Rest in that, think on that in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecutions and so forth that come as a follower of Christ. This isn't where it ends. And then verse 10, I'll try to finish up about four minutes here. It says, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. And have you noticed men can be very vengeful? I mean, they can pour out a great amount of wrath. And this goes along with verse 9, to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. The Bible speaks about as followers. He says, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. It says, if you are of the world, the world will love its own. And if you're peddling a Christianity that's loved by the world, it's not a biblical Christianity, period. Not talking about the world getting saved through the gospel, but accepting the false gospel being put forth. The world loves a good false gospel because there's no conviction in it. There's no power in it. But if you're going to walk with the Lord, listen, there's going to be times when man pours out his wrath on you, but God will use it for his glory. Pharaoh oppressed the Israelites, right? But God was glorified when those plagues came down. Nebuchadnezzar oppressed those three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. But listen, who ultimately got praise in that? We threw three in there, but I see four. The fourth looks like the Son of God. Amen. Jesus, you talk about, you know what, vengeance? We know the wrath of the Father was put upon him, but the wrath of man was put on him as well. But three days later, he rose from the grave. I think God was glorified in that. And you see it throughout Scripture. And then in 1 Peter four fourteen, it says... If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And then he says here, with the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. And I think that's a picture of God, you know what, being able to control his wrath. And he's very long-suffering. And this is where we can say, praise God, you're not like me, because how oftentimes someone just looks at us wrong and we're ready to pour out our wrath on them. But you see God being patient and controlled, and it doesn't mean that wrath's not coming. In fact, the more you reject the mercy of God, the more you store up the wrath of God. Not a good thing to do. The more you try to take advantage of the mercy of God. God's very, very merciful. You look around this world, you look at the the, the, the blasphemy in it, the blasphemy in it, the, the spirit of Antichrist. And, you know, it's easy for us to go, oh, Lord, bring judgment right now, you know. And let's remember he was long-suffering with us. 
But that doesn't mean the judgment's not going to come. It is. Verse 11, it says, Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. And listen, evidence that you fear God, that you have a fear of God, a respect of God, one of the evidences of, of that is that you pay vows to God. Amen. You make a commitment to serve, and then you go and you serve. And another picture is that you give unto the Lord. You give unto the Lord of, you know what, your, your provision that he has given unto you. Don't fool yourself in that. Listen, that's evidence that you fear God, because listen, these things come with a promise. He says, give unto me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and bless you. And if you really fear God and you believe that, again, our motive shouldn't be to give to get. But there's a great assurance in that. He told the church in Philippi that was a very impoverished church. He says, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And that was in the context of them giving unto the Lord. Absolutely in that context. So let's not play games with ourselves. Let's deal in realities and and this is one of the ways where we ask the lord you know to search us and we test ourselves and so forth and finally verse 12 it says he shall cut off the spirit of princes he is awesome to the kings of the earth he's going to cut off the spirit of the princes again the pomp of man the nations that rage against them they're going to be cut off And at the same time, listen, as they are lame, he is awesome. And he's awesome to the kings of the earth in comparison to them. Our God is awesome. You know, you can even take the greatest king and compare it to God. They're not awesome. (laughs) They're not, you know what, anywhere near that. And you know what, it seems like today where we are, boy, the, the bar just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. I tell people all the time in the midst of, politics and elections and all this i say listen the 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 best the perfect government is dictatorship and they kind of like what are you talking about (laughs) dictatorship it's the lord jesus christ ruling and reigning on high and and that's coming soon it really is and in the meantime let's ask god to help us to be salt and light and to be a people of prayer and worship lord we thank you and praise you we thank you for your word we thank you for the psalm Lord, we thank you for the truth, God, loaded in it. God, I know we barely scratched the surface of it. Lord, I want to pray, God, that we take these things we've looked at and consider them. I hope and pray, God, that our faith grown in you tonight, God. And absolutely, Lord, let us be found with people, God, that are growing in the knowledge of the Lord. God, not just knowing about you, but knowing you, God. Help us in that. Lord, there's so many distractions, so many things, God, scratching at our time, so many things saying, hey, come follow this over here and Lord, some of those things might have a place in our life, but God, it's not, it's not over you. Lord, you are the blesser, Lord, and you are the provider, God. And Lord, we just pray more and more, God, that you'd be in that place where you're first and foremost in our life, God. And Lord, each day when those temptations come along, God, to make you second, oh Lord, keep us from succumbing to that, God. Shine your face on us tonight. Encourage us in this place tonight. And Lord, I would hope that if any here have not called upon you tonight, if they don't know you, that Lord, even tonight, even now, they call upon the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for you to be the Lord of their life, God. Bless the rest of our evening here. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.